I think it's better to be loud than not loud. But you told me last time that mine was too loud, but then you always say I speak too loud. Okay, and keep an eye on your batteries. Yes. I mean, of the recorder, not your personal ones, because yes. my God, <laughs> ship's already sailed. Um, Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints Podcast episode 49. We are inching, I mean inching towards the half century, James. In many ways, in many ways really, I suppose, actually now I've come to think of it. I was thinking that we were closer than even the podcast was to the half century. <laughs> At least I am. Well, you might, you might be, mate. I'm calling on 49 around the corner in a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, maybe we could save the next podcast until next year and we can match them up. There'd be some nice symmetry there. How the hell are yeah. you, man? It's been too long. Why, are we, uh, why have we been delayed? What's going on? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say we've been delayed so much as it's very strategically planned recording, ah, but obviously, yes, of course. Um, one of the reasons, James, which you know we cannot start without mentioning, is the Kickstarter. And the last episode we recorded, if I'm not mistaken, was actually to officially launch the Kickstarter. And let me just tell you how that day went, because obviously we recorded it in advance. Uh, I put the podcast out as normal on this Sunday morning, a little bit earlier. I actually didn't uh, mention it on social media, I think, till the following day. So I, I'm reliably told that that is known as a soft launch, James, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from commenting uh, on, on soft launches there, but uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, so obviously we put the, uh, put the campaign up launched it or announced it through the podcast and obviously the nature of podcast being a podcast maybe some people it's coming directly into their feeds other people maybe get to it later in the week or they have a routine when they listen to it so you wouldn't necessarily expect uh an immediate response right but anyway a couple of kind souls uh started our our uh kickstarter campaign one of my oldest friends michael steady shout out to him he was the very first pledger uh, and then, of course, you know, as you do with these things, you go into a slight tailspin because you're like, no one's pledging, no one's pledging. Um, had a shower, came back, couple of pledges, and really, James, from there on in, it was just a complete, well, I say roller coaster, but really, there weren't any ups and downs. It's like we just kept going up and up and up. And like, I mean, what we 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 finished? If you're not already familiar, we finished thanks to the generosity of people listening to the podcast and other people that. Uh, can't bear to listen to us on a weekly basis, but do support the project. Uh, we fin finished our campaign with 200% funding. So we were double what our original target had been, which I'd have to say probably, you know, without any exaggeration, completely just blew us away, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we had a little bit of, um, you know, to be expected anxiety or nervousness that, oh, you know, maybe we've overestimated the people who love us and send us all these great messages. And when it comes to maybe putting up some financial support behind those kind messages, you know, we weren't we weren't really sure. And I think the thing that amazed me the most, Philip, it wasn't even the 200%. It was the fact that it was so many people that we don't know personally. So there's a lot of people out there who've been listening to the podcast, who've seen the website, who've seen one of the various uh, exhibitions that have been held around the world, um, and all the great PR that's happened too, all the magazines we've been in, the blogs, etc. 
And that that is, I think, what for me really um, showed how much interest there is in this world that we're documenting and that we've done, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but that we've done a really good job communicating it because in addition to all of the great financial support, um, I, I was equally pleased with all the great verbal support, all the people saying that they couldn't wait, that they've been following us, that they were so happy we were finally going to get this done um, and that they want to see what comes next in the next few years. And and I know for me that that gave you know a, a real kick in the behind to be like, okay, this is, this is the next great stage. This is Something we've wanted to do for years now, um, and but it's not the final stage. It's just one step on a, on a longer journey. We're going to keep going. We'll get into that a little bit later on the program. But um, yeah, you know, it was it was the support, it was the verbal support, and two hundred percent, man. I mean, that's that's way more than even I expected. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, if if you saw the Instagram live, you can still get that there if you're really desperate for some more content, which I suspect most people aren't. But uh, it's on our Instagram. But we did just, I think on Christmas Eve, it was um, in both countries, um, Japan and and Ireland. uh, We timed it in such a way that we could kind of get the most people. And, you know, just to celebrate, because incredibly, I think in less than six days, we'd hit 100% of our funding. And uh, it just continued. And also, uh, you know, for me, it just felt so long because obviously managing the Kickstarter at the back end and, you know, we'd taken some advice to put in an extra few days to account for the holidays. And by the end of it, you thought, you know, this is never going to finish because it just seemed so long away from hitting our initial funding target to the end of it. But like to double what we were looking for was really um, incredible. And a lot of people have asked me since, you know, well, what are you going to do with the extra money? And it's probably worth being you know, clear that when you do a Kickstarter campaign, obviously a large percentage, probably more than 25%, I would say, is actually postage, right? So anyone who pledged will know when you pledge, you also pledge for the postage. So that money's coming in and going straight out again on postage, you know? But what it also means that we can do is we were able to cover some of these additional costs that are maybe not obvious when it comes to publishing things. So, for example, having the book shipped from Germany, uh, obviously, if you're moving anything like that in that quantity to any country, you're going to come into either, you know, VAT charges or or uh, import taxes and things like that. So there's those kind of additional costs. And then what it also will allow us to do is just to, you know, maybe add a couple of little embellishments to the book that perhaps wouldn't previously have been possible. And, you know, we had 650 books initially from the first print run, which I suspect might be slightly bigger than was originally planned from the publisher. But, you know, we sold 600 of those books. So there's about 50 of those books still knocking about. I'm sure probably we'll keep a few copies for ourselves and so on. But, you know, there will be more copies of that book available. So, um, and then, you know, just we're hoping if there's any, you know, anything left over and change, we're hoping obviously to put that back into the project. You know, we're not heading off to Bahamas. We're going to throw that into a couple of launches. We're hoping to do one in Belfast. We're not? We're not? I I thought we were not. Oh, yeah. Philip. I was very clear. Do not book tickets to brazil it was it was, was that not Kisa, did you not the jazz kisa 10 in rio i thought that was you know we were gonna you know expand oh okay my my bad my mistake um no i thought so, you'd cast your you, pension in for that one but <laughs> as you as you said rightly um there's a lot of additional costs and i mean i think many of our listeners because this is a very international program will be aware of that that you know shipping costs distribution costs have just skyrocketed in the last few years for a number of unfortunately crazy reasons crazy so actually you know, on that point just sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. but actually just just as an anecdote to, to illustrate that talking with the publisher in particular you know i mean 
life's life's in the timing, right? I have this sense that I don't always have the best timing, but it's probably the most expensive time ever to publish a book. Um, <laughs> and you know, he he was telling me that you know, for publishers in particular, like when. In, in photo book publishing, when they're ordering paper, incredibly, like when you order the paper, it could be one price, but actually you don't pay that price when you order. You pay the price of the paper when it arrives. So, you know, it's like going out saying, well, like, you know, I want this car and it's like 20 grand. And when you get to the garage, they say, well, actually, no, sorry, costs have gone up. It's now 25 grand. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's unthinkable really now the Care or the publisher have been absolutely fantastic and it's been a very collaborative project. I've got a meeting on Tuesday with them. Uh, it's the first meeting with the designers, so we're going to look at some ideas of what's possible. There's some talk of possibly increasing the number of images in the book or increasing the number of pages or even slightly increasing the size of the book and stuff as well. So these are all like really, really positive things. But I think also, like you mentioned, international audience, what's incredible, and I'm going to put a little graphic together for this because I'm such a nerd, but like, you know, it's amazing to see like from, you know, China, Singapore, obviously Japan, America, Canada, places like mm. Mexico, Peru, all manner of countries in, in Europe as well, Turkey. Like it's just been incredible, you know, like to see that not only the power of social media and like the connection that you can make through the online world, but just like the the extent of the audience and also not just for our project, but obviously the interest in like jazz keys of culture. So, you know, oh, yeah. maximum respect to all the people who pledged. Um, that's something that we, you know, you know, again, we, we've heard from, you know, not just people that we know personally or people that we've known through online things over the years of doing the project, but, but just random people who've just been like, oh, yeah, I went to Japan once. I was able to go to a couple jazz keys at then, and it's one of the best things I've ever done. And, you know, there's one little joint in, in my hometown that's a little bit similar. Come and visit us here. And you just kind of feel like, wow, who would have thought that, you know, this rather obscure obsession of ours to visit dusty, um, you know, tiny hole-in-the-wall places that play old jazz records would, would connect us to such a vast audience. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so happy about it because, yeah, I mean, we you know we joke around and, and say that it's a, it's a little bit of a, as you would say in the Japanese English, you know, we're maniac, we're maniacs for this stuff, but there's a lot of people out mm. there interested. And yeah, never underestimate the, the, the real... I don't know, you know, this is kind of the silly buzzword they use these days here in Japan. It doesn't mean uh, what they think it means, but cool Japan. Uh, some of our listeners will know that that was a very failed attempt by the government here to sort of project Japan as being, you know, hip and trendy for, for new tourists. And what they didn't realize was they didn't need to do that because, first of all, if it comes from the government, it's by definition not cool. And secondly, there's this massive desire and curiosity about all things Japanese. And, you know, we're seeing that now that the borders have opened since November. Um, you know, uh, I've noticed just, just the other day I was I was in the center of Tokyo and, and what six months ago would have been just, you know, a dead zone um, was swarming with international tourists. So people have come back and, and, you know, a lot of those are people who've contacted us and, you know, want to want to go on a, a little tour. We'll get into a little bit more of that part later, too. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just been it's, it's so much more of a positive experience because I remember, uh, Philip, when you pitched me an idea, you know, I'd never used a you know, Kickstarter or crowdfunding or any of these things. And I was a little bit skeptical about it. Um, and uh, it's turned out to be uh, yeah, far surpassed what I expected. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I have to say, you know, shout out to Kickstarter, who, you know, throughout the process has been really supportive. I had a couple of people I was contacting in, in Kickstarter, you know, they were really encouraging, gave some really good advice before we set up the campaign. 
you know, we got onto a couple of the Kickstarter newsletters. There was one night I was going to bed and there was suddenly this like rush of pledges from mostly from America. And I was like, something's happening. Like there's something has gone up somewhere. And it, <laughs> it turned out it was this Kickstarter letter on their page. So, do you know, like it's been like an amazing experience. You know, the the payments and things were processed very quickly. Amazingly, James, out of like 601 backers, we only dropped five as well, which I thought was like incredible. We just couldn't kickstarter couldn't contact those people to get their payment details so if you are one of those five people and you're wondering where your book is or why you haven't heard you know do get in touch with us through the kickstarter platform and we can try and figure something out but like yeah i mean it's just been incredible and still like we're getting messages you know i've had a few messages recently you know can we still get the book and like there's still a few left at this certain pledge level is it possible to buy them and and you know people seem to be really interested and again also people still saying to me like you know Oh, I've just just come across the podcast. Can't believe I haven't found it before and stuff like that. So it's really nice to see, like, and like as you said, and I think it it says this in in the, the little piece of text that I wrote for the book. You know that like this is not the end. Like the book is just another milestone in this project because you know the point of the project was always a race against time to try and capture these places, to visit these places. Mm. Before they before they go, and that's not going to change, and that hasn't changed. And you know, as we know, the more the interest increases globally, and all the rest of it, uh, the more you know. Ultimately, that like the number of these places is going to decrease in Japan. Yes, there are new places opening, but like it's never going to be like the heyday of what it was. So you know, this is just a milestone. Who knows, James? Could be more Tokyo Jazz joints. Could be more more Tokyo Jazz joints. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Like we just don't know. But like plan is to get the book out. And just on that note, like we have a sort of tentative publication date. Assuming nothing else goes wrong and things are going pretty smoothly at the moment. Famous last words is uh, the first week of June. So hopefully. That'll be the publication date. And then from that point on, it'll be a case of once I have the books, starting to send them out to all the people who are listening that pledged. So, you know, keep an eye on the socials, keep an eye on the Kickstarter updates. And like, you know, fingers crossed by the end of July, certainly into August, you're going to have that Tokyo Jazz Joints book in your hand. And what a glorious thing it is to be able to say that, James. <laughs> but as you mentioned, in the meantime, we still have a lot of work to do. And work Ooh, that yeah. I have been doing since um, you have still not what? visited here. Um, that's what's known in the business, Philip, as a, as a segue. You know, it's it's, it's sort of a well, actually, you say to a new topic that you do when you're a professional broad- podcaster like myself. Oh, like you're so you're you're going for that professional status, right? Well, actually, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna raise your segue, James, because obviously one of the images that became completely like in my mind, like is now like just in, intricately like linked to the book is the one from Pithecanthropus erectus, right? Which mm. you know just seems to like and like I know we were sort of hemming in hand at first and was like, well, what should we use for the cover and da da da, and like when you know even I was like, was that the right one? And it's just funny how like quickly I, maybe it's just from seeing it so much that that image just becomes in your mind it's like oh that's the cover of the book like mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. like yeah. a no-brainer right yeah. but obviously Pithecanthropus erectus classic Charles Mingus album and we thought it might be a nice way just to like uh you know progress on from talking the, about the book um is obviously Mingus right because I think recently you had your own kind of like Mingus epiphany is that right I certainly did. Um, as our fans and regular listeners will know, I try to every maybe every other month or so, I'll take a weekend and I'll go somewhere random around the country um, to keep adding to my my tally of jazz spots visited. So, you know, we did, we talked on the last podcast how I had gone down to uh, to Nagasaki 
and then uh, also to Sapporo. But uh, just a few weeks ago, I went up north to the Tohoku region and uh, was able to spend a good three days up there in rather extreme cold. A little bit of a bad timing to go in January, my mistake. But um, yes, the first stop was the absolutely remarkable Mingus that is located just, oh gosh, three minutes walk from Fukushima Station. And Fukushima City is sort of the first major city to enter the Tohoku region. Tohoku in Japanese means northeast. And um, even though it might not sound so far away from an American perspective, it's pretty far when you take the bullet train. I mean, if you go all the way to the top to Aomori, that's a good 800 kilometers, you know, um, five hours on the bullet train. But the first city that you'll get to when you leave Tokyo, the first major city is Fukushima. So I hopped up there. It was about 90 minutes, um, ran from the station and went into Mingus, which was, I believe Philip was the last place that you visited uh, on your trip before you went back five years ago. Is that correct? Almost, almost. I mean, Fukushima is interesting, right? I think we touched on this before, but obviously, um, to to paraphrase Gil Scott Heron, came into some international kind of fame when, (laughs) for the wrong reasons, really, right? Because it was it was the site of uh, you know one of the of the nuclear power plant that was very badly affected by the the tsunami back in 2011. So you know it suddenly was projected onto the international stage, and like you know, I remember actually, and, and and during that time, like volunteering, I remember being with a randomly being with a guy he was, I think he was a Kiwi and we were like going to get a van from somewhere or something but I remember actually driving through Fukushima and it was strange because you know like again you're you're so like you're so trained by kind of apocalyptic films and all these kind of mm. things to be like you know to imagine this certain thing and of course it was very quiet but it was just fairly normal now there were obviously no go zones and so on which we weren't going through but like it just became so even like going up in 2018 it wasn't the last place i visited but it was i think coming back down from somewhere i went past it and you know it was one of those things where like you kind of think god this place like like what has this place been through you know but then of course you know you get to the station and you turn up at this place and the sign i think we mentioned the sign before the sign has this very uh, interesting tagline, right? It's it's outside and it says Mingus, days of wine, comma roses and jazz, which I just think is. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, this is you know set to a backdrop of of a thousand electrical wires all like tied together yeah. with bits of bit, bits yeah. of string, right? And it, it's also it's also just interesting because it's just it's 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 such a soft, dainty uh, turn of phrase there, which is just not what you would use to describe Charles Mingus's music nor personality. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was kind of that was a strange dichotomy. But um, you know, it's funny, yeah, because when I, you know, when I was sitting and talking with uh with the owner and 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 it was really amazing because, you know, like I think I mentioned um when we talked about my trip to Nagasaki on the last episode, you know, sometimes these places that have been the site of, you know, as you said, apocalyptic or tragic events, they tend to outsiders tend to immediately identify that location with that event and it's something that the locals really i wouldn't say they resent it but they they were in, the, in japan at least they're quite disappointed it was really obvious from our conversation that he didn't want people to avoid coming to fukushima prefecture or the city or to yeah. close to his bar uh because of some you know uh fear that there's still some sort of contamination or they're going to get ill or whatever life is, has gone on very well obviously you know other events have affected business there and that was one thing I noticed because when you had went um, and you had taken pictures and they are up on the, the Mingus 
uh, section of tokyojazzjoints.com. Um, it's, it's a two-floored place, uh, the, the third floor being a sort of a bar area and the second floor being a sort of a lounge with live music, very large by Tokyo standards. I mean, you could get 75 to 100 people in there probably if they were standing. Uh, but currently, unfortunately, due to COVID, he's, he's sort of shut the third floor bar and he just has people come in to drink in this more spacious second floor lounge. That makes sense with which is where, distancing. Which- yeah, but it's weird, right? Because we, I think we had a very sort of yin and yang experience of Mingus, right? Because obviously I was in the third floor in actual fact, and uh, he was, he just opened, I think he was, he was cooking up some food uh, and only through chatting with him, he was like, oh, you must come downstairs. So I spent my time in the third floor and he mm. took me to the second floor. Now, I don't know, did he even take you up to the, the third floor? No, no, he didn't. I mean, we were talking about it, but we were sitting and talking so long. Um, and by the time I thought about, uh, you know, going up there, I had to I had to just sort of like excuse myself because I had to race back to get my train because I was heading up to Sendai. But he had said that it was right. kind of, anyway, he, 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 it wasn't open at all. Like he just kind of like, he hadn't cleaned it. There was just boxes and stuff. So there wasn't really much to, you know, I mean, he would have taken me, but there wasn't really probably much to see. Um, the focus was more on the second floor sort of large room. Um, but he was still doing some live events. Uh, He said that customers were still coming by. And one of the most interesting things about Mingus was, I've never seen this before, Philip, and we've been to, I mean, I just passed my 275th jazz joint that I visited. It's the first place I've ever seen. That actually, yeah, come on. Had to slip that in somehow. Um, The first place I've ever seen that has a workstation. And he actually has an audio little workstation with a workbench and all these little parts and and components and tools. And what he does is he fixes audio equipment. He fixes speakers, turntables. um, And he does that. For people that he knows of, uh, you know, audiophile friends of his, but he also does it for a lot of young people. He told me a lot of college students who are just getting into vinyl. We know that there's a big vinyl boom worldwide right now, you know, so so people of that age, even teenagers are starting to buy records or buying used turntables, don't really know how to fix them, don't really know how to use them properly. So they'll bring it to him. And he'll like fix up an old used turntable to make it usable for them. And I, I, I was just, I was blown away by this guy. I was like, you, you, who taught you how to do this? Did you, did you study? You know, he's like, no, no, no. When I was a kid, he, he literally said when he was in high school, um, you know, it was really expensive to buy this audio equipment in Japan. We've heard that many times. That's that's a whole yeah, part yeah, of, yeah. The, of the Kisaten culture, right? Is that you could listen on these good yeah. systems that you couldn't afford. So he decided that you know he he'd probably never be able to really afford an expensive one so he decided to experiment and putting together pieces piece by piece his entire audio system so over the years he taught himself everything that he needed to know mm. and remember this is way pre pre youtube t- tutorial internet like yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, this is this is all just by trial and error and then the, all of the japanese audio magazines um so i could tell that he was you know he was telling me this very casually he wasn't saying it with a sense of pride but i was like immediately like wow this dude is really, really special, mm. you know? Um, so that we had a great, I, I would say I only had about maybe 50 minutes, a little bit less than an hour um, to chat with him. Um, but, you know, he told me a lot about, you know, the music scene there, that there's some people who do live locally, but it's not far, that not too far for Tokyo musicians to come up and play live gigs. So he's hoping that as COVID weakens, he can sort of get events going a little bit more frequently. Yeah, because um, he, I think he talked about like the high school kids as well. I think in like the local university, like they, I think at the time he said they came like one night a week and they did like, 
you know, jam sessions and things like that. Cause he was actually cooking, I think, I think he was he was cooking up curry, but it was for that because I think he was expecting people like later in the evening to come. It was it was on that night. Now I know you're a bit weird about the food, but like, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure you didn't have the you you didn't have the curry, right? I uh, thankfully it came out um, very close to when I had to leave because you know I it was so good not eating. It was so good though, seriously. <laughs> like I I mean, okay, we've had some ropey stuff, right? We've had some ropey stuff, but. In this place, I was like, this is, it was like a proper meal. It was like really nice, really spicy, really (laughs) tasty. But like, I sat at the counter with him, just looking at some of the photos. I mean, you can find them on the Mingus page on the website, but it's kind of interesting because the the, the sort of predominant color seems to be like a a kind of red, right? And interestingly, in in the third floor, um, you know, he's got this, what almost looks like a fireplace down at one end. And inside that fireplace, you know, there is a picture of Miles and it's lit in this kind of red. Again, you know, this kind of pseudo-religious kind of shrine mm. way. And then these huge, big, like leather sofas. So like, it's it's probably one of the more homely, like comfortable jazz keys. And then there's all sorts of weird, I mean, there's, you know, things like drum skins and vinyl and all the things you would expect. But I noticed in one of them, there's these kind of... I. Again, I know, I know we've our track record of fishing things is not great, but they look to me like those. They're like big glass. They look like glass footballs inside a net, which I presume is some kind of like fishing device, right? But I, I don't know why. Okay, I, that that I I know from the picture because yeah, I didn't go up to the third floor. Um, I had no what? idea what those were, <laughs> not a clue. I don't think that was fishing because Fukushima City is not near the ocean. So, no, and you wouldn't be using that. glass, right? Yeah. I mean, if anyone knows, give us a drop us a line. Like, but I just <laughs> horribly embarrassed <laughs> really ourselves funny. there once again no, with our it's, knowledge it's, of the it's world. It's funny you, you mentioned that. No, because I was I was no, I did notice that, but I was more taken just with the murals because he didn't do them. He said that they've been done by various people. You did take a couple pictures of them in the stairwell. There's a really I took cool, more than a couple, yeah. Cool one of Joe Zawinul and another one, of course, uh, Mingus himself. And, um, you know, a, a lot of, I think that it, it is amazing. Every time that you do get out of the Tokyo metro area or the Osaka, you know, metro area, you realize that the joints are at least two to three times bigger than the ones that we see here. And so especially you're kind of immediately, like you said, you do get a little bit more of a homey feel. You don't feel quite so cramped. And then you also get this like insane amount of clutter, even more than Tokyo. So you do have all these random things lying around, including, so he's got his workstation, that Miles Davis fireplace, which is just completely inexplicable because you're heading up to Tohoku. It's freezing cold. Why not make the fireplace actually work? So I don't know what that's fair about. point. Fair point. I hadn't um, thought of that. And then you know, spread around all around the live spot too. You do have these little things with like suddenly you'll see like a little picture of like Dexter Gordon like behind the piano, and then you'll see another sort of thing that says Mingus, or you'll see like a little magazine like framed behind a corner, which was like a profile of the shop. You know, so you have to spend a lot more time wandering around to see every. Everything in there. Even the stairwell is great. You got a great picture. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think we really undersold because we, we sort of jumped straight in. I mean, also, I mean, that the, the second floor place where you were is, you know, also kind of in itself. Like, it again, has this huge uh, picture of Miles at one end. But again, it's suddenly like, you know, all like red velvet seating and like, you know, huge amounts of, of equipment and like a, 
what looks like a grand piano as well. But I mean, the stairwell, I think probably is, is one of the kind of the most remarkable things about this place I found. I mean, we've seen these kind of like paintings and we know that some of the owners, you know, would, were, would illustrate and like, or photograph and, you know, their, their heroes and things like, but I mean, it's, I think it's all about jazz, isn't it? It says, and then like, I mean, the stairwell is literally covered with, I mean, there's, (laughs) there's Charlie Parker, there's Mm. Coltrane, there's Miles, there's Count Basie, McCoy Tyner, Joe Zawinul, you know, like it's just, unreal right i mean you know and it it goes right up the staircase and i mean they look like they've been there for like you know 30 40 years but again like so vibrant and they still and i'd never i don't think we've seen anything like that in any other place that we've been in terms of like just the scale and sort of quality as well because they they look i mean they're brilliant right they're they're really brilliant like pictures we've seen we've seen sometimes you know um in some kisaten you know some fan has painted a portrait of their favorite musician you're kind of like who's that again oh it's remind me (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, i couldn't quite tell but these are all yeah these are all absolutely um absolutely spot on perfect so yeah mingus is I, i i was just like i was absolutely kicking myself that it took me five years to get there because there's really no excuse it's pretty close once you hop on the shinkansen but um so i told the guy that i was gonna look i'm gonna come back soon and and spend a proper evening there um i promised to try the 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 spicy curry next time um but philip believe it when i say it because uh on my trip you know the, the next so i headed up to sendai and, um, well, Sendai, I went to visit our very good old friend, the Buddha of Sendai at the uh, Count. Do you remember him? The Count. Of course. Kisaten? And yeah. believe me, he, he was as Buddha-like as, as always. I mean, he gives you the menu, he brings you his, your drink, and he goes back to sit behind the counter, smoking a cigarette, yeah. his eyes closed, listening to the record. And the man's enlightened. What do you want? He's enlightened. What do you he's want? He's there for like 10 hours a day. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. But I had a, a great hour there. Um, and interestingly, all the customers there were very young, which I thought was really cool. We're seeing more and more young people go to the Brilliant. So, But the next morning, I went uh, a little bit outside of Sendai to a place that, I, I mean, visually, it would have to be the complete opposite of a place like Mingus. Um, it is a brand new joint. It opened uh, just in the beginning of December. And it's called Paragonian. And the owner, a very nice dude named Hiroshi, Hiroshi-san, um, is actually retired from the wine business. So he spent many decades as an importer and exporter of, of high-quality wines. And it, he ended up opening this, this new sort of jazz kisa called Paragonian almost kind of by chance. Because do you remember the old one way up in Miyagi Prefecture called uh, the Half Note? which I yeah. think was one of the oldest Tohoku ones. Now, I never got to go there, unfortunately. But So the half-note owner was sick, and he was um, basically closing the joint and going to sell a lot of his records. So this dude, Hiroshi, who had just retired, he's 70 years old, a friend of his was like, hey, let's go up and buy some of his records, you know? So they go up there, and uh, Hiroshi sees that the owner of half-note has, actually has a Paragon speaker system. Now, you and I are not audio people, Philip, but we've heard of Paragon systems before because they're so famous. There's only There were only less than 1,000 made uh, over a 30-year period up until the early 80s. And then, and then it, the line stopped. So they're very, very rare. There's less than 50 Paragon speaker systems in all of Japan. So the people who have them are not getting rid of them. But this- Yeah, and I think- I think, mm-hmm. uh, like, if, if I'm not mistaken, because I remember reading something about this, maybe in relation to 
the book and Paragon or something, but I I think I'm happy to be corrected, but I'm pretty sure the kind of minimum going rate for one now is about thirty thousand dollars, right? I think. Uh, I I I my understanding would be that it's going to be even a little higher than that. Yeah, because really? okay. uh, yeah, because because they're they're just so in demand. So happy for James to be corrected, and if anyone knows the real answer. <laughs> so uh, this guy Hiroshi told me that they negotiated. Of course, this is proper Japanese conversation. He didn't tell me how much he paid for it, and I wasn't going to ask him. Um, but then he had a problem because uh, for those of you who have not seen a Paragon speaker system, I mean, it's as big as a piano. So he had to get it from the half note to his new shop that he was currently constructing. Um, so. Eventually, he got it moved. He called some piano movers. They got it set up. And so he has opened his own shop called Paragonian. It's a brand new jazz kisaten slash luxury wine shop. Again, not one that we've seen before. Philip, you are a wine drinker, so I think you would appreciate it more than me. Um, but it's an absolutely gorgeous place. He he had the architects make it in a sort of a cabin. It's got a very, very high triangular ceiling, and it's got a, a two-foot concrete floor to absorb the sound, so he can really, really blast the music out with this paragraph system. And then he's also got a little, little store on the side that he was still getting ready to sell all the import wine that he brings. So he He's going to have like wine events slash live jazz slash gallery. And during the daytime, it's coffee and tea time. Um, It was uh, was such an impressive structure and he was such a nice guy. So I really hope that, you know, he can get the customers to come in. It's not too far from Sendai. So, you know, people will come for the wine. I'm sure of that, even if they don't come for the jazz. Yeah, Um, amazing. That's, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of interesting though, just isn't it like how, you know, we, we often talk about like, adapting and how like you know even historically some of the places you know had to adapt a little bit with like menus and like you know even the type of music they played like particularly in the 70s when fusion came in and all these kind of things but like isn't it interesting you know just or and and we've talked more recently about you know even things like edible food and like wi-fi and like (laughs) encouraging female customers but you know isn't it interesting to kind of like see this sort of hybrid where like you're preserving the love and the the heritage that exists but also like adapting it to a modern environment because ultimately i suppose that's the way that you know the culture may not in its purest form survive but like you know by kind of developing this more modern approach or you know this hybrid approach like you know it will actually hopefully last for much longer right Oh, definitely. And, and and also just as a pure business model, it makes sense to, you know, there's going to be people like us and, or even more audio geek types who would travel all the way there just to see the Paragon sound system. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. I think you, you'll get a lot more customers who want to just like buy some nice wine and listen to jazz and couldn't give a crap about the speakers, you know. Um, but yeah. if you want to see some pictures of, you can see some of them up on my Instagram, but you should go over to his page. It's just Paragonian underscore jazz and it's really cool in his bio he just puts grape dot sounds which i think is a beautiful description the rest is in japanese and you can see a lot of pictures of this of his really really cool structure um he's even got pictures of when it was being built i think he was sort of documenting it online so um hiroshi-san thank you for being so welcoming he does speak really good english too because of his experience and thank you also for for pledging to the campaign as well because he did pledge to the kickstarter campaign i know he was back and forth a little bit with us about how to do it but we (laughs) we we got there in the end so as well yeah so it'll be really nice to um, yeah, eventually get to visit there as well. Again, if you're interested in the Paragon system, I know certainly if you look on uh, TokyoJazzDoings.com on Nancy, uh, there's Nancy, which is in the region section, and also Paragon, of course, that you and I visited, James, um, mm-hmm. 
which had, you know, was again named after the sound system, but it had this beautiful uh, system, like uh, sort of installed quite high up with like loads of uh, memorabilia and different stuff around it as well. Like, so it is just like the most beautiful thing to look at, right? I mean, it's just also Jamaica, of course, have one as well, don't they? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course, I think of of the so-called um, around 50 that are in Japan, I think about 15 of them at least are in some of the Kisaten um, and bars, yeah. including non, non-jazz non places too, places we haven't been to yet. But I, I, that that struck me when somebody told me that I was a little skeptical because that would mean that that there's 30 people who have one in their home. I, I mean, again, if you've seen one of these things, it's it's going to be very, very difficult to have unless you've got a really big country house. So, uh, Some I people have big houses, James. More. Come on. We, we know that. There's there's plenty of people in Tokyo with big houses. Come on. Uh, they, don't, know they, that. Don't, they don't spend all their money traveling around the country to visit Jaskisatan. That's why. Exactly. That's why they've got money. A nicer, yeah. a nicer house. But uh, anyway, definitely Paragonian is a, a nice new addition. And, and we really wish him well and hope that people can visit, uh, you know, and, and, and go up there and, and, and check it out. It's a, it's a, it's a it, it, only about a 20 minute ride from Sendai Station. So, you know, Sendai, the biggest city in the Tohoku region. Um, so it's pretty easy to get to. And uh, again, he does speak English. So that's a real advantage for our international listeners um but philip i think we have let's get into a little more professional podcasting jargon we've buried the lead of this segment you know why have we because uh the absolute peak and one of the i am not listen i always speak in hyperbole but this time i'm being honest um one of the 10 best places i've visited in japan no doubt. big statement alert we should we should have had a trigger warning there for a big statement i mean that is you've a, got you, you've got it you've got to edit in some jingles remind me how many was it 275 you've been to was it <laughs> yeah oh yeah okay and it's the top 10. You're saying it's the top 10, yeah? You're going to have to go it's, back and revise that episode that we did of our, of our oh, top uh, jazz yeah, you're right. I forgot about that one. Um, go on, okay, then. Okay, so as, as you remember, because you have traveled a lot around the Tohoku area, um, things are spread out. Um, it's cold. There are not a lot of trains or buses. They're very infrequent, especially on the weekend when I was there. But I decided to take the plunge. I took a two-hour bus ride uh, through very snowy oh. hills. To get to a town, and this is a very generous description by calling it a town, okay, of Tomei in Miyagi Prefecture. And um, from Tomei, you, there's not even a bus station. You Actually, the bus lets you out in front of one of those, like, what, what do they call it in English? It's you, Philip, you remember, Kumin Center. You know, they built this shit all around the country. Like a sort of civic center, Project. community center. Yeah, that nobody goes to. It's just, uh, again, more uh, pork barrel politics. as to a little deep cut there for our... Our loyal listeners, um, that they build these things all around the country because they get government money, but there's not enough people to actually have any events there. So anyway, the bus drops you off there, and then you got to walk about 15 to 20 minutes through a sort of almost a highway full of just like chain shops, chain ramen shops and McDonald's and supermarkets. And finally, you get to a side street, and there's a little blue house, and on the right side is, is a door into a butcher shop. And on the left is a little pathway with a sign that says Elvin. And that is the famous Elvin Jazz Kisaten that I've been hearing about for years and years and years. And finally got to. Not a lot of people I know have been there because it is so far away. Um, but went in, and Philip, I'm not joking. We've had some strange experiences when we go into Kisaten sometimes. This was one of the strangest. Uh, I was with a friend. And we walked in, and there was a record playing, but there was nobody there. 
and we thought, okay, maybe um, he's in the back, he's in the kitchen or whatever. Nobody was there for like 20 minutes. The record finished, okay, and the needle was popping, and there was no oh. one there. And, and, and I was- That's a moral early. dilemma, isn't it? That's a moral well, dilemma. It's like, do, do I turn this over? Do I touch this? I mean, wow. Well, it's terrifying. I, you know, having having known that a lot of these Kisaten places are run by really older people, I, I was kind of worried, to be honest. I poked my head behind into the little kitchen to see, like, perhaps if the guy was there and he was sick or something. But then I said, okay, look, let me go to the little shop that seems to be connected, not knowing if it was the same owner or not. And I walk in and, uh, and it's the guy's wife. She gives me a big smile. She's like, Oh, are you here for the jazz keys? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. She's like, Oh, let me call my husband. He's, he's here doing something with the meat. Amazing. So she calls him and he, and he comes out and he's got a huge smile and he takes me back around into the place. And, uh, we have a cup of coffee and, uh, we start talking and, and man, absolutely beautiful spot again it's deep in the country so it's a really really big high ceiling sort of that real sort of like rustic cabin feeling you know mm. and mm -hmm. um, it's even got a bit of a loft space at top and um interestingly uh not only did he come up with a lot of gossip about the jazz kisaten world which we can get into later um but uh, you remember our dear friend swifty son from basie of course right and how he's sort of, of the fulcrum of, of the north part of Japan, Japanese scene, or maybe one of the most famous jazz kisaten in, in all of Japan. Well, our man at Elvin um, basically did the audio for all of the events at Basie over the years. You remember you took a lot of pictures of the gigs. I think he still had them up at Basie, right? The gigs that were in the shop with like McCoy and Elvin and all those guys, right? Yeah, I wonder is that the one that always, the one that always sticks, the one that always sticks in my mind is, um, the Elvin Jones jazz machine, right? So I wonder, so is that where the inspiration for the name came from then or? It, not only the inspiration, I mean, direct inspiration because in the Elvin cafe, and you can see a couple of these pictures that I took um, up on my Instagram feed. Um, there are pictures of our man with Elvin Jones in the shop uh, with him at Basie. And a signed picture that says, you know, uh, peace and love, Elvin Jones. So it's, you know, hanging Amazing. up on the wall. So, so he knew him because, so he was running. So basically he was running all of the audio equipment and uh, at Basie. And they were, Basie was doing gigs back in those days, probably like all the time, right? So, and it's only a 45 minute drive from Ichinoseki to Tome City, where he lives. So he decided to open his own mm. place. And being an audio guy, again, he built his entire audio system by himself and uh, basically was just like, well, you know, I made this space for me. Nobody comes here and I don't expect anyone to come, but I'm really happy you're here. And I was like, oh, God, come on. I'm sure you've had your regular customers. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I have some people come in, you know, regulars now and then, but they're all old like me. And he started laughing. He was one of those kind of jovial dudes that laughs after everything that he tells you. You know what I mean? So he was right, he was right, yeah. An absolute delight. Um, a little bit of a thick Tohoku accent, so I, I actually recorded our conversation so I could go back later because there were parts that I did miss. Um, but Elvin is 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 just such again. It's one of those sort of places that is it is identifiable as a jazz kisaten. It shares all the things that we love about kisaten throughout all of Japan. But it's also one of those ones that's very clearly of its place. It's clearly not a Kyushu place. It's definitely a Tohoku place. 
You know, it's got right. the gas stove, it's got the wood, it's got the high cabin walls, you know, the wooden mm. ceiling with the beams. So you really feel like you are, you know, oh, yes, this is like the north of Japan. And just bonus points for that. I mean, again, the first jazz butcher that we've met. How cool is that? So we met a jazz uh, sommelier and we met a jazz butcher on the same trip. So um, absolutely a, a top-notch place. You must go there as soon as you get your butt back here. Well, I mean, uh, the true professional, because that brings us to the end of the section where I live vicariously through your life, which is something <laughs> I never thought I'd be saying. But also <laughs> to the exciting news, at least for me, James, and hopefully a little bit for you as well, is that um, finally, finally, I've managed to book my tickets to uh Japan. So I'm going to be out in April, a bit shorter, unfortunately, due to the absolutely astonishingly expensive price of flights at the minute to Japan from Europe. But uh, either way, I'm coming out on the first week of April. So I'm going to be there for about 14 days. I think I've got full 14 days, which I suspect. Uh, and I got a little bit of funding uh, from through university uh, and uh, Japanese uh, foundation. Uh, so hopefully, you know, I'm going to be hitting the ground running when I see you on the 9th. And then it's just going to be some hardcore traveling, photog photographing around the country. <laughs> and, you know, might even get up to that magical 200 mark. You know, who knows? But like either way, I just cannot believe that it's been five years, you know, like it's going to be five years by the time or nearly five years by the time I come back in April, which, you know, had you told me. Before all this COVID drama, I would not have believed because I just always imagined I'd be back, you know, every year, year and a half. As we know, you know, uh, oh, the yeah, world had different sure. plans, I but mean, hey. But, you know, it's it's funny in, in, in a way. I mean, yeah, obviously we would we would give anything to to not have COVID had have happened. But, you know, in, in some senses, we wouldn't have been doing the podcast. Um, who knows? Very true. Might Very true. Even, might not have even had the book come through, you know, because you 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 might not have been, you know, so focused on that. You would have been focused on just coming back. So making the best of it. But listen, I have got a full itinerary ready for you. Um, all of the hits, Philip, we're going to have bathroom stops. Um, the blue bag is there, phone charger ready, raincoat in place. It's 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 going to be like you never left, so I can't wait. Sleeping on counters. Oh. Sleeping is, on buses, uh, sleeping on planes. Listen, I, I, speaking of count, I may have ordered a second beer that was not necessary that night in Sendai, so there was definitely a little bit of snoozing going on there. But uh, look, it's to be expected. As we, as we, again, very professional, as we circle back to the beginning of this episode – both of us are getting near to 50, so a nap now and then is to is to be expected, if not recommended. I mean, it's generally taken at home on a, on a sofa or bed, but, you know, anyway, look, you know what? It gives me a bit of peace because I can go and get some photographs taken. Uh, the only problem is quite often, as we've documented many times, I've then got to also entertain the owner as I'm <laughs> photographing and also often in as you said earlier about talk a regional dialect that you know you think you mm. can speak Japanese until you suddenly come across one of these dialects and you're like oh I can't speak a word of this language what are you saying <laughs> so anyway look I can't wait I just can't believe that finally the tickets are booked and like my fingers and everything else is crossed mm. that nothing else will go wrong in the meantime um, and 
you know, we may or may not have another episode before that. Probably, I think we hopefully will. But like, you know, well, I was, I was uh, not to spring it on you, but I, I was going planning to bring my uh, portable mic, and we'll do a in person podcast for the first time, which would be, uh, which would be wow. entertaining. I'll, I'll, I'll buy two cans of Imperial Stout then, so we can, you know, we can each, uh, we can each get a little bit loopy. Well, either way, you know, when we come back or when I come back, rather. Uh, there's going to be plenty of content as well for additional podcasts, as well as a whole new raft of new places to talk about, a whole new raft of photos as well. So it's really, really exciting. But look, in the meantime, James, you know, as always, it's been mostly a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you for the next one's going to be episode 50. So I feel like maybe we need to do something a little bit special for that or or, or maybe mm, not. Maybe we uh, don't want to. Got a couple ideas, Bruin. We'll we'll kick it kick it offline. Um, don't forget the right. PR, of course. Everybody's favorite part of the podcast. Um, just this morning, episode number one hundred and fifty-five of OK Jazz went online. Um, Philip, you got a shout out at the end, so make sure you listen no. to all the way till the. That'll be a reason to listen not, for I, once. No, no, you do every time anyway. Um, yes, follow me on social media. You can see all of the pictures from these various Kisaten, including a few places we didn't talk about today, but some more places in Tohoku, including if you're a Japanese jazz fan. Um, Philip, I don't know if I told you that. I went to the, the uh, Akiyoshi Toshiko uh, Museum in Morioka City. Um, you know. Okay. Well, they call it a museum. I was told it was a museum. That's really stretching it. Um, it's an exhibit in a very odd location on the second floor of a bus station. A lot of inexplicable things about that. Maybe we'll Amazing. get into on, a, on another show. That Love it. comes Love into it. the gossip I heard. But, um, but in any case, it was really interesting because, you know, um, I think a lot of our listeners will know that, you know, Akiyoshi-san – is a trailblazer for so many reasons, uh, not just for being one of the first women to go to the Berklee College of Music um, back in the late 50s, but I mean, the, clearly the first Japanese uh, person to, to attend that college. And the amount of nonsense that she faced as a woman, as an Asian, and as an Asian woman trying to get gigs and to prove herself um, and to establish her career. Um, and she's still out there performing today at age 92. Really, mm. really incredible. And so, yeah, the exhibit is is really nice. I mean, it, it's basically just a lot of memorabilia, old magazines and pictures, but there's a really informative timeline as well. So I learned a lot of things I didn't know. Um, so that was certainly a highlight of the trip. So if you're a jazz fan and you're here in Japan, um, I would recommend it. Uh, Morioka City as well. Very, very pleasant to walk around. So um, that is, uh, yeah. So uh, you could see a couple pictures of that as well up on my Instagram. So there we are. PR. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. I think we could cut up PR yours down a bit. But anyway, look, I'll I'll get the once Brian's had a go at the sound, I'll do I'll get the editing scissors out and we'll try and condense that slightly. <laughs> Listen. Uh, TokyoJazzToys.com, uh, if you're not aware of it already, and how could you not be if you've listened to the podcast, but at TokyoJazzJoints.com, especially on Instagram, it's probably where we're most active. Also at TokyoJazzJoints on Twitter as well. But look, in the meantime, thank you for all your ongoing support. Thank you to all of you who pledged and supported uh, the project in whatever way you did. Uh, thank you, James, to you for another riveting, riveting chat. And uh, I'll see you on the next one, number five zero. You betcha, buddy. Can't wait. The countdown has started. Just six weeks to go. See you soon. See ya.